To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome everyone to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up everybody? You know that song, you know the voice, and you know the guys I'm sitting with. It's the one and only Mr. Don Moore. Hello. And the producer himself, Mr. Dallas. Hey, hey, I, I produce. Yep. You <laughs> produce. <laughs> you edit. We'll fix it in post. Yeah. And then he doesn't. That was our, that was our famous through line, I think, the first couple of years we did the show. I always said, oh, I'll fix that in post, and it never happened. So now mm-hmm. these guys give me a hard time on it. Ad nauseum. <laughs> well earned, though. Yeah, I know. well earned. Let's it's face it's it. good to be back. I think this is the this is the second episode I've done in the past, you know, year. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. It's not that I, bad. Think, I think I think <laughs> you were on less than a year ago. Yeah, I've been on a, uh, you know maybe three or four episodes. Yeah, he was on eleven months. months ago, so it was less. Well, than yeah, months. okay, but I mean that's something. It's been, a busy, it's been a busy five or six years, guys. Can I use hey, that? Hey, man. Yeah, no, really. listen. <laughs> Dallas had been trying to get us to do the show, and my daughter was still in high school. And I, w- I didn't do it till she went away to college. And if you remember the early episodes, if you've been listening, Rook was absent a lot because his son was in school. Yep. And um, when Rook's son got out, Rook jumped in. So I can't bag on Dallas because he's there for his daughter, which is up. where you should be. So but, it's uh, all all in good. fun fun that's yeah. all it is <laughs> but I, I see a little tear going on the side the corner of his eye and i think we gotta stop i'm not yeah. crying you're crying <laughs> <laughs> no it's good to see you guys once again we are at rook's um house his, my little hidden hideaway yeah his little underground bunker uh, the home of awesome as i like to call it as i said before the home of the mess it's not it's it's a little clutter but it's because no. You're, Every time I come no, no, here, no, it's no. different. It, it's a little cluttered because I put most of the clutter in the room that's oh, with the door right. closed. <laughs> By clutter, you mean collectibles and comic books and a little bit of everything that's in, in your wheelhouse, right? The stuff that we talk about on the show. Yeah, well, you know, it's that's exactly it. It's uh, The biggest problem right now that's happening is so many projects. I mean, like, just sitting next to me is this 3D printed airship. Which is super, super, super awesome, by the way. Well, it will be. Right now, it's in pieces. Um, I need to get it all assembled, start painting, and filling one, in. Is that for one of your future campaigns in uh, D&D? That is most certainly for one of the D&D campaigns right there. Um, nope. I've got so much happening with that. It's actually really crazy, because I've been dealing with like a huge amount of writer's block the last couple weeks. Um, which, you know, it's... It's just frustrating, you know, and like even Lori from Path of the Pale Rider said, you know, she's like, yep, know, know the feeling, you know, mm-hmm. working on something uh, as well. It's just, it's wild how you can like, mm. I, I've written for years and then I've, I've hit a wall. I, I hit a wall with this one right now and it's uh, it's frustrating. You know, you didn't mean to, but you kind of segued into something. What's that? Well, we had Ryan Clater on in the past, and he was talking about Onishi Press, who we've had on a couple of times and talked about their work. And um, off mic, we were talking about um, a kid's TV show from the 70s that they made a movie of, and Rook was bagging on the movie. Ryan cried a little bit about it. And I actually had the movie. I found cheap, and I said, uh, send me your address. I'll send it to you. I'm never going to watch the movie again. And I kind of felt the same way Rook did, but I wasn't mean about it. Oh, no, I was mean. <laughs> I, I was mean because but, I can't stand that movie. But uh, <laughs> but uh, we're talking about Land of the Lost. There was a uh, Saturday morning show that I loved when I was younger. I think we all did. And uh, I was excited to find they were going to make a movie about it, and it turned into a Will Ferrell movie. I found and that's it, where it all yeah. went wrong. I found it for two bucks. I thought, you know, I've always wanted because they only made two seasons of the show. They were building up to something, so I thought, let me let me try this. It's two bucks. I I didn't hate it, and they do somewhat answer what they were going to go to, which they could have done a better job. But nevertheless, 
So I sent it to Ryan. Of course, Ryan being the person he was, he wanted to send a book to me. And I'm kind of like, hey, you don't need to. But it was Dwayne, A Tale from Existia by... Existentia? Existentia, yeah. See, I can't read. <laughs> but, um, That's why I'm the producer. It's from Lindsay G, who was, you know, again, part of half of Anishi Press. It's 66 pages. It's a small book. It's all prose. Yeah, it's prose. It has some illustrations oh, at the nice. beginning of the chapters. Look on the inside cover. Inside cover. Inside cover. Oh, yeah, oh, it's a little note. It's a yeah. post-it note. Well, Is it from Ryan Clater? No, it's from uh, Lindsay. He oh. ordered it through them to support him. But um, I feel kind of bad that I sent him a $2 DVD that I didn't want, and I get this book. That's why I kept saying, <laughs> you don't... <laughs> We know who the better person is, Don. Yeah, it's okay. Well, yeah. You, you won, Ryan. But, um, Newman. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> Ryan Clitter. But, um, anyway, I got the thing and started reading it. The woman, she's on her own. She's got a house somewhere, I think, in California. And she's a romance novelist. She's had enough success that basically she has a contract to write two novels a year. She was in a relationship um, her partner had left. They don't really go into why, but you know, she was, is anybody's been in any kind of relationship that didn't work out. It, it's hard to move on. And all of a sudden a 12 ton boulder appears in her living room. They never explain why it's just there. And it's how she deals with it. You know, she contacts the insurance company, you know, um, different people get involved. Uh, one of the people's a geologist, the local university, and she tells her what kind of stone it is. But there's no sign of this moving. It's too big to fit in the house. You know, I mean, through the doors or anything. And this woman, the whole story, they're talking about the romance novel that she can't figure out the male character, the male lead. And uh, what his motivation, what, what he is. She has the story, but she just can't put any meat on the bones, I guess you'd say. The publishing company is really good to her calls, asking about the... Um, the book, and she's I'm still working on the lead character. Anyway, she's dealing with this stone. Um, all the things that start happening after that, social media, all the other things, people around her, society. I, It's like real life, and real life is never what you think it's going to be. You know, sometimes you watch a TV show, a movie, read a comic book, you know that you know the, the hero is going to put on a costume and go beat somebody up with a comic. You know, they're going to beat the bad guy. You know, um, they always follow certain tropes. This didn't. It was like real life if somebody you know had a 12-foot granite stone in their living room. <laughs> and uh, I thought, you know, again, it's 66 pages. Okay, I'll read a little bit. I, I couldn't put it down. Uh, this is all I've thought about since I read it. And um, the way she ended this book... I felt like I know these people. But when it ended, I was really disappointed because I, I wanted more. But the way she ended, I thought, well, that's kind of, that's how it should have been. I'm saying that it wasn't a close so, ending. So it's like the end, the way it ends is proper, but yet it's disappointing because you just want so much more to the story. Yeah, more, mm -hmm. sometimes you want a neat wrapped up package, you know. But that's and, life. Life yeah. is not a re neat wrapped up package. That's well to say. Um, <laughs> I, I can't say enough about this book. Uh, I brought it in in case one of you guys to read it, but I always think, a 12-foot granite stone. She's the writer. She can't figure out the male character. And in the book, they show the process. And the time she did figure it out. But I was thinking, well, this is writer's block. So when you mentioned writer's block, I thought, well, at least you don't have a 12... At least I don't have a 12-foot boulder somewhere in my house. Listen, if, if Rook Listen, had a 12... You haven't opened the door to the spare room yet. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. If Rook had a 12-foot... You know, granite boulder, or 12, 12 ton granite boulder in his house, it would fit. It would look like it was supposed to be here. <laughs> no, it wouldn't it fit. It would. He'd be, it'd be consumed by miniatures. I don't have enough, yeah. enough room for that. He would have a Celtic sword next to it and a couple of shields, a couple of skulls. Thinking, well, of course it's here. You know, Rook wouldn't have had the issue, but nevertheless. Start I'll, etching ruins into it. I have a link. This, this has been, thank you very much ryan and thank you Lindsay. this is i can't recommend this one enough it's 66 pages i think everybody should read this book it was just and ryan just kept going on about it and when he's i hate to be this guy when ryan's talking about yeah why you gonna send it ah but i was wrong and ryan was was correct so anyway 
So well, but you know what this this is one of the things I love. It's uh, yeah. you know you never know you never know what stories is just going to just stick and run just jump and, out at you yeah just yeah. jump at you you know so and Onishi Press I mean let's face it they do some great stuff oh yeah you know? well they've, they've got a lot of books they haven't stopped and um, they're all unique uh, I went to the site to this um, and she was talking well I I put it out and again it's what I say every time I ask for people to send in, you know, drawings for fake comic covers for the Facebook page or um, send in music in. When people do this, well, I don't know if you're going to like this. That's, I think, what everybody feels. It's not good enough. And it seemed to me like this was close to her when she said she put the story out. I guess she's got a lot of short stories that she's written. Yeah. Um, I had an English teacher in high school, a big influence on me, but she was teaching us about uh, Emily Dickens. Mm. And um, you know the poet, and one thing she, yeah, Emily. Oh, sorry, it's it, high school a long time ago. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. I caught said. that, but I knew what he was saying, so it okay. just bypassed. Well, the yeah, brain. but you need to correct uh, it for I'll, the, I'll the, sure the, the listeners. No, you have to correct it for Emily the listeners. Dickinson. Yeah, Emily Dickinson. Thanks, thanks, thanks to the two younger guys. You know what? So. I'll fix it in post. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're used to me getting things wrong all the time. But anyway, the teacher was always stressing to us that. She wrote these poems for herself. She she wasn't intending on them being published. She wrote them for her herself, and they were wonderful poems. They touched a lot of people. But the teacher stressed if the house burned down and she lost them, that was okay because she wrote them for her. And that's kind of how I took these stories that Lindsay wrote. There's more They're very personal yeah. for her. It's right. when you get the and, real visceral personal right. stories yeah. that that change other people's lives, though. But I have to say. She, and I want to say this, I was going in this like, yeah, well, Brian sent it, I'll read it because I don't want to be rude. And I couldn't put the thing down. I, one, I'm not a woman. I know it's a surprise. I'm not a romance writer. I don't even read romance novels. I don't live in California, but I felt like I lived this woman's life. Um, none of the things that happened to her, anything even close to anything ever happened in my life, but I felt like I lived them. <laughs> And the dog agrees with me. Everybody should read this book. So I'm going to have a, a list on there for you to sign up for because I expect everybody listening to the show to buy this book. There will be a test. <laughs> yeah, there will be an exam. Yeah, from now on, there will be a test before the show to make sure you've read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Um, well, that's just one of the, one of many great great books from Onisha Press. So everybody, really, go check them out. Some great stuff over yeah, there. Yeah, a lot of stuff. And, and can I just say it again? I love the tree thing in their Kickstarter. Yeah, go ahead and talk about that a minute because that's nice. Uh, so uh, Dallas, did you did you <clears throat> catch this uh, in that episode when you back the book uh, when you back Mister Guy on Kickstart? They plant a tree. Yes, uh, dude, I love that. Absolutely. And let's face it, for Anyone who is into the medium of comic books, you know, it's paper. It's cellulose product. If we don't start planting trees, we ain't getting no more comics, people. Yeah. So <laughs> Also, the oxygen thing. It, well, the oxygen, yeah. Yeah, the oxygen, the oxygen thing oxygen. is important. You know, I mean, I, I hear that's important. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> fake news. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things about trees besides those two things. Also, flooding. Yep. You know, if you, you deforest places, they start flooding. Uh, there's a lot of things about trees that you need, yeah, of course. Um, you know, cooling, everything else. But it's oh, just I could nice get into a trees. whole array of thing about trees and stuff like that. But you know, yeah. I, that you, you, this is not an environmentalist podcast, and I don't <laughs> need to go off on a tangent. You're so good. At <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going to. No, no, no. Trust me, I'm not going to. Don, I've <laughs> got to get talk to you about this other book. Okay. There's other books sitting in front of you. Ugh. It's killing me. I want to take right. it from you. Well, I've got to get my own copy. Well, Rook's talking about, this is the second volume of Frank Herbert's Doom, the graphic, the graphic novel. novel. This is Maud Dib. So, a little preface to this is when the first volume of this version of Dune came out, all three of us purchased it. And I'm sure on the on on our website there's an image of all three of us holding it, right? Yeah, yeah, As I reach over yeah. just a little ways and grab my first first volume, and so off we the all shelf. read it, and I think we all talked about it on air. So Don, being the great guy he is, jumped the gun and got this book before us. So well, <laughs> Rook and I haven't gotten a chance to read the, book the two yet. The original show 
when we did this, Rook had bought it and said he got it at Target. Target, if you live in the United States, Target's a, a retail store. And uh, usually if you get it at one of these box stores, it's cheaper than if you went to a, a normal comic store or anything. So, after doing that, I went and bought one, Dallas bought one, we did a show and talked about it. Um, I was really impressed. A lot of times when they take books that I've loved, I don't really find they do that great of a job. Anytime you transfer one yeah. medium to another, it's it's incredibly difficult right. to get you know all those thematic elements, all that. Uh, just the storytelling itself right. changes. Now they have a, they're hardbacks, and they have a Bill Sienkiewicz cover, which I love. Bill Sienkiewicz. The couple that draw the comic, it's a man and woman from Spain. And um, I didn't realize this, but Rick pointed out that um, I have work from Valiant. They did. Um, what's the name of that? You brought it in your big pile of books, didn't you? Well, yeah, uh, the fact that they've done some other yeah. stuff that we've actually Secret read weapons. and talked about. Secret, yeah, but they oh, didn't yeah. do this one. But uh, Secret Weapons, I, I, again, the cover didn't match the interior work, but I saw it at the store and picked it up and said, well, that's really just, good. Yeah. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm like flipping through the pages and just like the opening pages, I mean, just. Gorgeous color artwork, yeah. you know the panel layout. Yeah, I mean, the, the, that the, panel layout right here on this page with the with the drawing of the character and then the the four breaks pieces. Just right. wonderful panel layout. The color scheme is wonderful. It's all muted. Yeah, it just looks great. Yeah, it's just everything's soaked in this red coloration of the uh -huh. rising sun. Yeah, you know, just uh, it just absolutely gorgeous. Now, one work. thing about this, they they put out a movie. Uh, recently, they put out one in the '80s, which a lot of people pinned on. But I know some people that love the movie. Well, this will be the third yeah. iteration. Uh, iteration of the movie. But um, sci-fi yeah, film too, right? Well, they, had, they did a series on sci-fi series, which was I thought pretty good. Well, and not only that, Sci-Fi Channel did the mo did the Dune, and then Children of Dune as well. Oh, I got you. So, well, anyway, this one, if you ever read the books, it's after. After the Arrakis house is basically destroyed. House of Atreides. Yeah, Atreides, yeah, Atreides. I'm sorry. Yeah, Arrakis are the villains, right? And, um, Arrakis is, is the planet, the planet. Wow, I can't even get but my anyway, stuff straight. Paul and his mother, you know, are, they ended up in the desert in the last book. That's when they, they find their way through, and then they run into the Fremen. And I tell you, I love the, the last book. I've been, after this is finished, I thought it was going to be a year before it came out. It's been over a year. And um, I started seeing on Facebook, they were showing it, but it wasn't out yet. As soon as it came out, I thought, when do they have the targeting in? They do. So I went and grabbed it. I like this one. I enjoyed this one more than the first one. And that's saying something, because I really, I've been waiting for this. Um, yeah. This is... Now, n don't spoil. No. But no. I'm wondering, does this finish the first Dune book, or is there going no, to be a third, a third there will, so there, will be, there will be a third part. I okay. do recall, I think maybe I read it in an interview, but yeah, it's being split into three books. So, yeah. okay. there's only one more part after this. Yeah, well, it does say at the end it's got a two-page spread. It has... Well, uh, no. let me let me just, just for size comparison here, let's just see. You know, it looks like it's maybe a little thinner than the first one. But I am so thankful. Thank you, thank you for the press for the printing company for keeping this in the same yeah, size. Same. Yeah, it's as consistent. The first one. Yeah. It's consistent. Nothing bothers me more than like volumes of books being printed in different yeah. page sizes. Well, yeah, I'm so the same it way. just it throws off my bookshelf. And yes, I know it's like the most OCD thing to complain about, but it's a thing for me. Okay. Yeah. No, this one it finishes. It's got one page. It's uh, basically a. Uh, oh. Yeah, it, it's absolutely gorgeous, and, and the blue coloring on it is fantastic. It goes good with the other. I'm, that's what I'm wondering about. What's the next cover going to look at like? But it finishes with a two-page spread, and it says "Profit Coming you know, uh, Graphic Novel 2024 Spring, Spring Spring of 2024." Uh. Oh, so about a year and a half. Brutality. It's probably been about that since the first volume, though. I remember waiting quite a while. Yeah, it, it wasn't a year like. Well, I, I mean, it did say that the <laughs> it's come that the end said coming spring twenty twenty two. So you know, I mean, they're, they're keeping the time frame about right. Um, when does because these are releasing with the movie or just prior to movie? Yeah, so prior to the, the, movie. the second part of the Dune movie should be coming out. 
before I think, long? I don't know. I I would like to. I'm I sure they're in production right now. Time. Yeah. You know, that's one thing I was going to say. The movie's coming out, or had come out after this book. But you know, they're different. Like, um, they didn't try to match the actors. I mean, sometimes they're even a different ethnicity. And which, here's the thing, is, yeah. sorry to interject, but these graphic novels are adapted from the novel, the Herbert right. novel. They're not adapted from the film. Now, he didn't, in the book, he never really mentioned about ethnicities of some of the people, except they were Fremen or, you know, different families from different planets. But in the movie, you know, they use different ethnicities for everybody, which, again, it, the world mixes, and I like that. And this one, they do things like it, but it doesn't match the film, which doesn't bother me whatsoever. Um, it was done on its own. They were just following the source material. But, you know, reading this, I've read the book, and uh, it kind of goes... I've seen the I bought the DVD. I like the, the newer movie quite a bit. And I've I read the novel, I read this, and I thought, God, this is a nice thing to have. It's uh, It reads really well. It's like reading the, the novel, except that you have visuals, and sometimes sometimes it's nice to have a visual. You know, um, And what Rook was pointing out, the color design and design of the pages, it's easy to read, it flows, but they're really nice, intricate design work. Um, yeah, I, yeah, you can tell that they take their time, yeah. and it's it's gorgeous, gorgeous work on there. Uh, by the way, I just checked. Do you know we have a whole nother year? Yeah, that's what I thought. November third, twenty twenty three, for the next film. <laughs> oh, okay. Oof, oof. One of the one of the guys I train with, he um, he doesn't like science fiction. He's an architect, and he saw Dune. He goes, oh, the movie was weird. Why weird? The new version, you mean? Yeah, the newer one. Yeah, okay. And he said uh, he didn't care for it. Kind of funny, he doesn't like science fiction, never watched Star Trek. Well, I mean, that's all fine. I lent him Mysterious Polyp, and he thought that was one of the greatest books he ever read. Well, and, uh, he's not wrong. I was thinking, because when we were working out, I just said something about a, a paper architect. Because remember, Mysterious Polyp yes. design, but he never got anything built. Yeah, that's, um, that's a wonderful book that we had an episode years and years yeah. ago where we reviewed it, but that was it's one on of the... It's on your reading list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So go on the website if you want to see the book that Don's talking about, too. But uh, it's it's a fantastic book. But anyway, I lent it to him, and he was laughing about, in architect circles, that's that's something that always distinguishes if you're a paper architect, if you actually had things but, built. Uh, yeah. yeah. And not everybody builds skyscrapers, you know, but I mean... Anyway, he liked that, but he didn't care for Dune. And then I was telling him about the book, and about um, he likes blade training. And I was talking about in the book. Everybody has a force field, and they can't use blasters because it's like an atomic explosion if it hits you. So they train with blades. And I was talking about that main character, Paul Atreides. You know, his father's men were teaching him knife techniques, and the force field has you know three seams that goes over you. And basically, they're teaching you how to work in to where you can get the blade in between one of the, theme, the, the seams. If you ever train with a blade, you have little things called attention getters, which are little pricks and little cuts. They don't matter. You don't like them. But you're trying to work your way into a vital organ. And if you know somebody's really, really good with a blade, they're, I, I find these people really terrifying. <laughs> right. But, um, you know... My attitude is I just go through like a locomotive, which is stupid. But anyway, I was telling about how they told the story in the in the book. He goes, that actually sounds really cool. Now I want to read it. Well, you know, it's got space. He doesn't like spaceships, I understand. But And I was telling about um, doing had a lot of environmental stuff in it. You know, a lot of things he would be interested in. He just got to get past the fact it's a space movie. Saying that, Myrna went to see it with me. She goes, oh, that was weird. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to see this, the, the next one with her, but maybe I can make her feel bad. But anyway, this book, once all three volumes are out, it'd be a nice thing to get. It's a nice thing to get and wait. There, I can't say enough about them. And um, again, you can get them at Target for for a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I picked it up at Target just for, by pure happenstance. Just yeah. happened to be there, happened to notice it. Didn't even know it was coming out. I didn't know it was either. a thing. And it was just like, yoink, grabbed. Yeah, it's 
fantastic work. Can you um, imagine if they take every Dune novel and do this? Uh, yeah. It'll take like the next 50 years. <laughs> I, think, I think Frank Herbert wrote, what, five novels? And then his son took over, and then another man. Um, This book has been adapted by Brian Herbert, which is the son, and then Kevin J. Anderson, which I guess has written some Dune novels after it. But a friend of mine, she's read them all. And I guess it's one his son wrote, but she's always laughing about it that Paul dies and becomes a sandworm. And she's making fun of it, like, oh, it's just, well, I don't know. Um, oh, spoilers. Yeah, sorry. Sorry <laughs> if you haven't read a, a 50-year-old novel. But, yeah, yeah. You know. Spoilers on a 50-year-old novel, but, yeah. But I've only read the one. I've, I don't know, if you read the first one, it is kind of complete. I mean, it does start with a really horrifying scenario, to be honest. But, uh, you know, Paul's getting all these these visions thinking, I don't want this to happen. And, of course, it does happen. But um, <laughs> but anyway, um, I was satisfied with the ending. And I may read some other ones because, again, Frank Herbert wrote five of them. But. Yeah, Dune, Dune is a very expansive universe, and there's lots to read there. Yeah. Lots. A lot of food for thought. I mean, just besides a good story, there's a lot of things he touches on. Yeah, you know. that that's one thing I can say about the Dune series is there's many layers in there yeah. in regards to the treatment of an indigenous people, yeah. the environment, the destruction of an environment. The, you know. Specifically, the destruction of an environment was very specific in Frank Herbert's work because yeah. oh, it yeah. affected him very closely. Yeah. Well, and just the the gross overstretch of unregulated capitalism i mean yeah. you know yeah. he, he, there there's way more than just a sci-fi story here oh there was i think that's one of the reasons it, it's it's lasted for so long oh yeah too. well there was longevity. even he touched on the fact that people had basically had the world in their hand and just kind of piddled it away mm -hmm. i mean besides all the other things you're talking about there's a lot of things about humanity you know how people act and um and your environments around you there's so many different levels for this story and uh, again like dallas said that's what made it last so long but um yeah it, it's fine but anyway this second volume i i as much as i enjoyed the first one which is as i just told you i've been waiting for the second one but the second one i it felt like the first time i saw star wars you know <laughs> yeah that was the feeling i had you know I love the color scheme of the covers as well. Me too. The first book has like these really nice, kind of warm, um, you know, orange and red, yeah, tones. This, and then, this one's much more foreboding. It blue is, but it's using that cool color scheme, right? Yeah, the blues and like the very light purples with yeah. the red inside the fan, sandworms. Oh opening. yeah, that was yeah. Really cool too. Yeah, yeah again, I'm wondering, is the next one going to be green? <laughs> no, because yeah. I don't think it would fit the color scheme no, of, of Dune and Arrakis. So and I'm just curious what he's going to do. Yeah, but, yeah, it's um. Again, whenever you try to try to do a project like this on something people love, Lord of the Rings would be another one. This one, it was exactly the way it should be. It's mm -hmm. um, they show it, they don't lose anything. The story, it's fantastic. The artwork is the story just flows. It feels like when you're reading the novel, the yeah. pacing's the same, uh, the information's the same, and um. There may be stuff that they missed that somebody more familiar with the the work would know, but of course. I, I read there's, there's it. There's always, always that will be. there's always that chance. But, but when I read it, I read the book two and a half times, and um, I um, I was satisfied. I, it felt like when I read it, read the novel, it, it, because of the success of the film too, and it's kind of Dune's back in vogue again to yeah. an extent. I imagine that will. There's so much lore to mine in Dune, like you were saying earlier, that I'm sure we'll see a lot more Dune in, in different media, you know, if we haven't already over the past year or two. No. We'll be seeing it showing up in different forms, you know. I hope so. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys, let's take a quick music break. We're going to be right back. Views going underground 
sights and sounds Full of the joys of spring Till you come back down Sunny-faced people rain on down Wondering what it all means Life on a trampoline Urge to soar Stuck on the floor You wanna take on the world With your mousy roar Snipped the cord Now you're unmoored Reaching up for the stars Is its own reward Up on high wire With Emily Choir Lacking in self-esteem Life on a trampoline You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click Click on the Cyclops. True Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. All right, that was Steve Robertson and Ed Wattell, and their new album is called Shadow Play, and the name of the song was Life on a Trampoline, which Steve's really proud of it. It's one of my favorite songs in the album, and it is an earworm. If you hear it once, it's going to stay with you all the time. And I got him a little irritated because I said Weird Al wants to do your sh- a parody of your song called You Look Like a Centipede. <laughs> and he said, well, you just got all this time to sit, the, sit of these, think of these things. And later I told him, you could do a version of a song called Covered in Vaseline. And I haven't heard from Steve since, so I maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but anyway, it'll be a link to his band, band camp page. These guys are shooting songs out like a Pez dispenser. You know, um, Steve just put hey, out... just a, full of it today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been saying all kinds of things off mic. Anyway, this is a really good album. Um, Steve and Ed... Um, both of them had just put out an album recently. How are you guys popping these songs out like this? Ed, Ed put out a single every month for 2021. And he just put out an album. Now he put this one up. I mean, dude, you know. And it's not like they're crap songs. They're always fantastic. So, anyway, sometimes you do get better with age. Anyway, uh, Rook's got a few books that we're making him talk about, and he's whining that he doesn't want to. <laughs> well, I haven't finished them yet, man. <laughs> I mean, so I went up to Atlanta uh, a while back, and of course, you know, 
like I do when I go to any city, I've got to find the local comic book shop. Well, first off, I found this really cool place. Um, I don't know if we were on air when we were talking about it, but I was telling Ryan Clater about this place. Yeah. It's called My Parents' Basement. Now, get this. First off, out on the out on the outside patio, there's tables, and you can order food, burgers, fry, you know, great food selection. Then you go inside, and the place has this gorgeous old bar top. You can get drinks, everything like that. But then it's got comic books and pinball machines. <laughs> so what's better than that? I mean, come on. Like, the place has got, I don't know, maybe two dozen pinball machines and a bunch of comic books. And they have one section where it's all local stuff. Local artists, writers uh, from the area doing different work. I picked up a couple of pieces that were local. Uh, One of them is a book called Sidekick for Hire. We'll save the day for money. Uh, this this book is just it, it's great. It's basically the kid the kid's a sidekick and he screws up. <laughs> so you end, you end up seeing like you know somebody gets shot and you know uh, every, uh, from there I don't know where everything goes after this first issue because I only grabbed the first one unfortunately. Um, I did find that they're available online, um, but it, it's it's a great book. Um, the writers. The, the writer on it is Kristen Hera. Uh, the artist is Rick a- a- Alves. Colorist Veronica. Circu- God, I'm horrible at pronouncing names. Guys, yes. go for it. Yeah, I am too. All right. But let's okay. Ta- oh, go for Written it. Written by Christian Herrera. Artist is Rick Alves. And colorist is Veronica Saraceno. Very good, man. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good book. Well done. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to checking out the rest of those uh, chapters as well. Um, the other book that I found was the. Now this is a very Irish thing going on here. Uh, there you go. The ba- yeah right. Imagine the Irish kid picks up an Irish book, the Ballad of Brigid of of Atlanta. So. This story I have not gotten to read yet, but it's it's an old Irish uh, character, and uh, basically they they take it and stick it in Atlanta. Again, local to to Atlanta. Um, just absolutely looks like it's a fun read. I haven't gotten a chance to go through all this yet. Uh, what I found really interesting on this is there's a kids version of this. Separate from this book, they I guess they have the same story, but for kids. So that's cool. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. I thought that was a really neat uh, idea for them to do. So you get something something for uh, you know mom and dad, and uh, you get something for the kid to read too. So these are Atlanta. They're comics done in Atlanta. Uh, the artist uh, it said it said local and so these artists these writers uh must be local to the atlanta area um like i said it i really thought that that was a cool cool thing like you know to have like a shelf dedicated and it was a i I could have spent way too much money grabbing all the local stuff uh, so I had to kind of be a little ser- selective. Uh, the book that I've really uh, that I've been reading and I've enjoyed it, it's it's a good sized book. I mean, we've got what uh, almost two hundred pages, I think, in this book. It's called My Riot. So I'm just gonna read read you guys a little off the back of this. 1991 Val, teenager from a conservative family, grows up dreaming of being a ballerina. Something changes. She begins to feeling pressure to conform to a specific idea of beauty and body type and a personality that just doesn't fit. She meets some local punk rockers, which if you know anything about punk, Atlanta is a big punk city. Uh, She ends up in an all-punk band, and they're ironically named the Proper Ladies. (laughs) (laughs) This uh, absolutely... I I love the art style, the, uh, the, the... Coloration, the minimal of the colors, yeah. Minimal coloration. The art style is beautiful. Um, you know, it's basically this is very much a punk rock tale. I mean, you know, anybody from you know Middle America, you know, 
what quote unquote normal family life uh, as we you know found punk music and dove into it. I feel like you can identify with this book and you can really get you can really get into this. Um, this is probably us growing up, except yeah, for the ballerina part. Well, except for the ballerina part. I mean, well, not for me. I know for you, the ballerina. <laughs> uh, it's written by Rick Spears, art and color by Emily uh, Emmett Helen. Uh, you know, what I found great was when I look at the back of the book, I didn't realize that, that Emmett Helen, in between stints as Rick and Morty cover artist. Ooh. I read that and went, no wonder I recognize that name. <laughs> so uh, Emmett must be doing is doing some stuff with the Rick and Morty stuff, which is why why this uh, why this looked you know so nice to me. I guess I I I enjoy the I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I just I got to tell you, this is something to check out. It's on Oni Press. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, like I said, it's two hundred page book. It, it's I haven't finished this one yet, so I don't know if there's more to it after this. Uh, hmm. But it, this one's been a really good one. So you know, and that's that's something I just got to tell you is I wish other local comic book shops, if they had, if the, the ones I go to. They've got like more indie run stuff, you know, set uh, on certain areas. But how cool is it that they had like a bookshelf dedicated to, boom, local Atlanta? Yeah, that's uh, an incredible idea. Yeah, local Atlanta creators. And I just, I thought that was so freaking cool. Yeah, well, you bought them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, but if you live in the area, you'd want to support the locals. You know, I have to say, Sidekick, when you're looking through it, I thought, you know, that kind of makes me think of Dark Knight. And when you handed me the book, it's because they're not copying Dark Knight whatsoever, but the way they colored it and sometimes how it laid out, it made me think of Frank Miller's Dark the original one, not yeah. the later. Um, the way it's colored and put together, I thought that's... And I, I was just thumbing through. <laughs> I really like that story. And then they have a cover for the next issue, and I thought, well, it, it does go by. It's kind of following them. Well, comics I'm, times from the 60s to the, the I, 80s to I believe I looked at, I think it was Sidekick that I looked into there's a few issues out there yeah. so uh, this is just the first one so there's there's more for that so that, that'll be good to try and hunt down of course you know we're in Florida yeah <laughs> Me hunting that down in the dollar boxes or, oh, yeah. or in back issue boxes might be a little difficult <laughs> considering be. location. But when I'm reading Psychic and some of the stuff that happened, all I think is Rick Jones because he is the super monkey wrench of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. And this guy is too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly how I feel. It's like, how 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 bad can things go wrong? Yeah, but he still seems to keep going. I know. I, I know. <laughs> nice. 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 Well, yeah, you talked about uh, the store, but you haven't talked about what you got. Well, I've got another one. Oh, look at this. Mickey Mouse. Zombie coffee. What is? What? No, is this a classic? Like no, uh, no. Um, it looks like one, but it's uh, by a European creator. Okay, now it's a hardcover. It's a slipcase. Yeah, this is a really nice. Saying um, is, I'm not a huge fan of slipcases. They're neat, but to me, it just takes up extra space and it's kind of unnecessary. Nevertheless, I love this one. <laughs> uh, the slipcase, it's um vertical, but the book is horizontal. Yeah, that's really different. I, I actually really like the, that they uh, do that change in variation. Yeah. Disney comics, especially the Ducks, are huge in Europe. You know, I'm absolutely huge. And um, I talked about one in the past, a Mickey Mouse comic from, I think he was a French creator, which I love. The one where he's trying to find a song. Mm-hmm. And Fantagraphics, I think, is the publisher of these. Yeah, it's Fantagraphics. But I've seen other ones, and they do look fine, but I just not enough for me to buy. This one, it just kept jumping out to me, so I bought it. But basically, the story is really interesting, because Mickey and Goofy live in this town, and there's 
a, a big company coming in and basically buying up everybody's property and everybody's leaving. And the people that are working there, they're um, basically raising the city and the people are kind of zombie-like. Uh, the characters is Mickey and Horace Horsecollar who was a character as a kid scared me to death. I don't know why he looked evil to me. He's not, but he always looks really sinister. And then um, <clears throat> Minnie Mouse and I think Clarabelle Cow. But um, they all have their own houses, but the revenuers are trying to buy it. And then Mickey and uh, Horace are starting to figure things out. Um, it's done like a newspaper strip format. It's all horizontal. Um, it's not, it wasn't a, I don't, think it was a newspaper strip I think it was just done for this book but I really I bought it for the art but I really enjoyed this story quite a bit as I enjoyed the other Mickey Mouse book I got but this one it's kind of scary <laughs> you know some of these movies Disney cartoons you used to watch as a kid it's like seeing Wizard of Oz the flying monkeys and the witch were terrifying <laughs> you know and um Steven Spielberg talked about Disney movies. You know, his parents would drop him off to see him and says, you know, Snow White, when the trees would come alive and seemed evil, it's quite frightening. And people, My daughter hates that part. She, yeah. Yeah, she couldn't finish the movie the first time she saw it because but, of that. But The Wizard of Oz, I found that terrifying. The flying monkeys, which I thought were great, they <laughs> were really scary. And um, this, the European stories, they're kind of done for adults. I mean, they're not kids stories even though they look like it but I mean saying that for an adult it is a, a kind of light story but the the drinking coffee and getting zombified and then Mickey and Horace start figuring this out and later Minnie and Clarabelle save them. They ended up meeting a Goofy um, I don't know why they did that side thing. I did enjoy it but they went on vacation and um Goofy lives in the backwoods, and they play it like he's a backwoods guy that has no clue on anything in modern society. Sounds right. And that was kind of kind of frightening, too. <laughs> Good-natured. But Does he got a banjo? <laughs> no, he doesn't have a banjo. <laughs> he's just kind of oblivious. You know, to him it's funny, but... That's kind of how he was, he was represented in those early Mickey Mouse cartoons, right? Like, especially the ones, like, in the late 30s, 40s, you know, when they first had Goofy in Remember them? that movie, uh, Stand By Me? About those kids? Yeah, of course. My favorite scene in my favorite scene in the whole movie was they're at the campfire, the yeah, and they're just yeah. Well, you know, everybody remembers the leeches and the storytelling about the pie contest. But it's when they're around the campfire and they're talking about just stuff people talk about, and they they kept going on. If Mickey's a mouse and Donald's a duck, what's Goofy? And uh, and I said if he's a dog. How can he drive a car? Why does he wear a hat? Well, my brother, when we were little, he used to get a... I don't know if it was Mickey Mouse magazine or Walt Disney magazine. It was a monthly tabloid size magazine. The Digest? Oh, tabloid No, it was a tabloid size, oh. like Rolling Stone. About the time my brother was getting it, it kind of went out of business. This is probably 71, 72. But one cover, it was a, a wraparound cover, but it was a lake... And it was nothing but boats, all the characters in boats. And Mickey Mouse and one, Minnie and another one, you know. And Goofy had this little steamboat, and he's driving it laughing. And on the deck in front of him was Pluto. Both dogs look similar. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Why is Pluto just a dog and Mickey, you know, Goofy's a dog. If Goofy's a dog, why is Pluto a dog? And that, I'll tell you. I got the short stick. Well, you talk about an earworm. I, I, my mind just couldn't get past it. So when I saw Stand By Me and they said that, what is Goofy? You know, I, the character always drove me insane. But anyway. You, you mentioned your brother read that tabloid. I remember when, when we were kids, Rook and I, probably in the early 90s, there was a, like a Walt Disney Digest book. Yeah. And it was like, it, it was on the grocery stands right next to like the Archie books, right? In the yeah. cash registers. And I used to get one every single month. 
I remember that was my first exposure to Jeff Smith's bone. There was an issue yeah. that had like the first oh, issue man. of bone inside of it. Yeah. That was just kind of an aside that made me think of that. And I'm like, no, because wow. Rook and I talked, we were talking about bone. I mentioned that because my daughter yeah. used to get that mm. too. Yeah. And, um, well, I still find it freaking hilarious that bone shows up on like the scholastic reading list now. It's like, dude, no, bone is like pervert, pervy, and like <laughs> it can adult. Be a little bit, yeah. It's like. Right. Little kids are reading Bone? Yeah, I never <laughs> saw it that way. I never. I understood that, you know, they had the hots for, for the girl, you know, but I don't know. I, I, I mean, look at how it. curvaceous she, she was drawn. That was not for kids. Yeah, uh, the, I, that was, of course, neither was Looney Tunes, but, you know, we didn't well, realize that. Ex- exactly. It, the Looney Tunes were cartoons we loved, and I, when I told my brother those were never meant for kids. See, what? Because we loved them. I think that's the appeal of Bone, just yeah. like a lot of these, is it's universal, right? Yeah. Like, adults can enjoy it, and so can kids, yeah. because a lot of that, those things go over the kids' heads. I don't think things should be sterilized and, and saccharinized for kids. I mean, there's certain things I wouldn't lend to kids. You know, Steven Spielberg... Oh, yeah, like I wouldn't give a kid a copy of Wanted. Right. Yeah. Or Preacher. <laughs> or Preacher. Yeah. Or uh, The Boys. But, you know, Steven Spielberg, there was a, that movie he did Schindler's List. You know, the little girl that was in the red dress that ran across? There was a piece that that girl, Steven Spielberg, made her promise she wouldn't watch the film until she was 18 years old. And she agreed, but she did, you know, it came up, so she watched it. She wasn't 18 yet. And she said she was horrified and she hated that movie. She was sick. I mean, it just, Mm -hmm. it was really traumatizing. I'm sure it was. And then she said she saw it later as an adult, you know, once she passed 18, and she realized why Steven Spielberg asked her that. Yep. Well, some things is just information you're not ready to process. You don't have the life experience to process it. But there's a lot of things... In life, that you see happen with your kid, and you don't realize what it is. You don't have that context. Yeah, like you later. Just have a life experience. Yeah. <laughs> There's a woman I worked with. Um, Fox showed Rocky Horror Picture Show sometime in the '90s on Halloween, and she was telling her daughter, "Oh, I used to go to this film, you know, every Saturday and watch it." She's talking about all the fun it was. So she was telling her daughter, and they were watching it, and she says, "Oh my God, that movie's horrifying." I did. She was talking. She was a really animated lady, and she was. I had to turn it. I, she was carrying on because you're. Rocky the, horror is horrifying. <laughs> okay. Well, to her, she's talking about all the mad sex and all the, the yeah. hedonism going on. And, <laughs> oh, okay. So all the stuff yeah. I enjoyed, yeah. she was horrified by. Yeah. And Eddie, Eddie was, you know, cooked and served to people eating. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you know, when you go to the if. I don't know if people now know Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror Picture Show was something that came out that didn't do well. And then they started showing it at midnight at certain theaters. And people would come in dressed up. And they would you'd get the callbacks. You'd yeah. get people throwing stuff in the theater. Which they like highly frown upon nowadays, yeah. by the way. You can't throw thing, throw <laughs> toast in the, or yeah. bread in the theater anymore. You, like, no, no, no. In the movie, when they would say, um, let's have a toast. Everybody would throw toast in the audience. Yeah. And um, there was always people dressed up. This you didn't have this before. And um, there are people waiting in line dressed up as the characters. And the first time I went, there was a woman that really looked fantastic. She looked like a I don't know the names. The short redheaded lady that was in love with Columbia. Eddie. Oh yeah, Columbia. And uh, she, her and her friend were there. They were both dressed up, but she looked like I mean, exactly the like Columbia. best Columbia I ever saw was a guy. That uh, yo, uh, yeah, no, he he nailed it. There was a guy that came to the Rocky Horror Night at one of the clubs I was promoting. Yeah, best freaking Columbia ever. Wow, ever. Well, they came up to her and asked her. They do a show. Would she like to be in it? And you know, she was a shy lady. Which is okay, but they well, all the stuffs going on the screen. They had somebody dressed up as one of the characters, lip syncing to yep. it and performing. And uh, they'd always have things like. Um, when Brad went to his room, it was blue, and the audience would scream, blues for assholes. Yep. And when the woman went in, her room was pink, and they say, pink is for bitches. It was, that's why you're paying attention to. You'd see the movie, but you really didn't understand what the movie was about. What you saw was all the stuff going on around it. Yep. And uh, so I could see where the woman, when <laughs> you watch on TV, unencumbered, 
and you're watching it with your young daughter. Wait, why am I showing her? Well, I mean, it could have been so much worse. They could have gone to a live show and had to experience a virgin call. <laughs> For anybody not familiar, when you when you go to your very first Rocky Horror live show, they do the virgin call, and the the ones that I went to. They'd line up all the first-timers that have never been to the show or never even seen the movie. Mm. You know, depending on who, you know, who's running it, you know, either it, the Virgin calls for people who've never been to the live one or if you've never even seen the movie. And they would take a red lipstick and draw a big V on your forehead. <laughs> the best I ever saw was this guy. They lined up a bunch of people, and the, they've all got the big red Vs on their forehead, and... I want to say it was Riff Raff was like, okay, everybody, strip. Most of the people in the line are just standing there like, uh, uh, what? <laughs> the one dude rips his shirt off, kicks his shoes, rips his pants off, grabs a hold of his underwear, and the whole entire cast starts screaming, stop! <laughs> and so he's standing there smiling with his hands still on his drawers, and everybody went, you can get back in line. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. They, were, they were like, we're going to continue to mess with everybody else, but you can go back in line now. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that would be rough. Yeah. I, I question if that guy actually was a virgin or if he was just like, oh, I'm going to have some fun. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's what it sounds like. No, in the late 70s, this is 78, a bunch of, bunch of people in the basketball team went out. They were all hanging out. And they saw it at the May Theater in Oklahoma City. And they said uh, they just wanted to go do something. They thought it was a, a parody of Rocky. You know, this is uh, a yeah. year, year or two years after Rocky was out. And they were shocked. They, they were just lambasted by it. But they would sing the songs. One guy had a shirt of all the dancing legs saying, let's do the time warm tonight. Four guys in the team had the eight-track tape, It's That Long Ago, in their cars to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And then they said, we're going to rock your over. You want to go? And I finally went. Like, okay. I, you know, uh, it was it was a wild experience. It, they must have showed that for 20 years on Midnight Movies everywhere. Malls they everywhere. They still do. I, I didn't realize that. Oh, was, yeah. There was, a, there was a Rocky Horror event just, uh, especially around Halloween, there's Rocky Horror events. Hmm. So. Well, the, May, the theater, the May Theater in Oklahoma City was basically a dying theater ever since I was a kid. And we went, the guy came out and explained that they added some enhancements for your enjoyment. One, they had a mirror ball up, um, oh, you know, nice. before the screen, but, you know, it was a ways back. And when Riff Raff and uh, his sister show up as aliens, and I remember with Riff Raff, they screamed Banana Head because his hair. Yep. But the mirror ball would come on when they shot the ray guns, and they had three lasers that came out. And <laughs> at one point, when... Frank and Furter jumps on Rocky. They had a, a smoke bomb at the bottom mm -hmm. of the screen, probably a colored smoke. Oh, wow. It's, but they had three things they did. I can't remember what the other one was. But the May Theater basically survived for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. They didn't show anything else. And then, like I said, they started showing it in shopping malls. They started showing it. I didn't realize that was still a thing. When they showed it on Fox on Christmas back in 92, 93... I thought, well, I guess that's it. Yeah, yeah they did a live performance of it um, yeah. on Fox. Um, <laughs> I forget. They did They did a few different musicals yeah. live. It, it was a live musical before they made the movie. Richard yeah. O'Brien oh, yeah. did it. It was in England, and I don't know. I You hear different stories. I'm not English, so I didn't know, but they made the movie, and if one understood, the movie went nowhere, and then all of a sudden, it became a thing. Cult classic, you know, baby. You know. Cult classic. Cult classic. Yep. Well, and then there's modern modern movies like that, um, especially like Repo, The Genetic Opera, and then The Devil's Carnival, uh, both which are the same creators. Uh, fantastic flicks. Great, mm. great, uh, right along in that vein as well. So, and then Devil's Carnival 2, Alleluia, um, you know, so, yeah, I might, I might be a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen it many times, uh, I haven't seen it, geez, since probably 80. We watched it yeah. two weeks ago? 
Really? Two weekends ago? Yeah, we, I mean, Ellie and I always watch it every Halloween, but that's we've never really? seen the a live. Oh man, mm. yeah. There's no experience like a live. Uh, so I've never I haven't seen, been uh, years. I've years. never seen it except except in the live theater. Put it this way: my wife and I have been together for 20 years, and the last time I went to a live Rocky was before we were dating. Has it been out? Damn. Yeah, she's never been. She's never been to a live. Yeah. The last time I went, it was. In Chicago in 83, I just got out of boot camp, and one of the guys with me said he'd never seen it wanted to go. So there was three of us, my bunkie, this guy, and myself. And um, my bunkie... Please tell me you went in your Navy uniform. Yeah, in my whites. You know. Yes. Well, you can't, you can't not wear it. <laughs> anyway, my bunkie got up and left um, not very far into the, the show. And I thought he just went to the bathroom. He never came back. <laughs> and while this was going on, you know, there's three guys, frat boys, that came by and saw us, and they just started screaming, Sailors, you be, you're probably going crazy! And they were drunk. And um, we were just sitting there, we weren't going to cause trouble, the shore patrol would arrest us, but my bunkie never came back. We ended up getting a cab and going on, and I asked, what happened to you? Oh, I couldn't handle that movie, all the, you know, he's talking about all the stuff going on. Okay. That was the last time I ever saw it. I never watched it again. <laughs> oh man, yeah, yep. Well, I've got it. I think I've got it on VHS, DVD. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. pretty sure I've got the the actual like vinyl uh, of it somewhere on the vinyl shelf. Wow. So, oh. Well, it was oh, yeah. it was a big thing in the late seventies. Yep. So, all right. Well, uh, anything else, guys? Dallas, this is the last time we'll see you for another year. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but we text like almost every day. We should yeah. just put our, our in our text group. We should just put those messages on the website. No, I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't. I don't think that's a thing we need to do. That is definitely no. not a thing we need to do. Well, we're messing with Dallas, but you know, we we used to mess with him on the show, but then he started talking about he liked us messing with us, so we stopped. We didn't want to give him the satisfaction. Yeah, but, a bunch of a holes. But yeah, but we I are friends. In every single episode. Yeah. Still, you just never hear. And we we thankfully. we talk to him all the time, and actually. I know this show sounds like it's inept and it's just a bunch of people just, you know, flapping their mouths. But Dallas has a script. He gives us all these index cards he sends to us. And <laughs> we have to follow the script. And when the show's over, he, he gets on it when he's producing it. Don, I can't help you. You got off the script here. Well, one, two words. Well, it's got to be, I, I put a lot of time in this. Every episode <laughs> is like three and a half hours long and I whittle it down to 56 yeah. minutes. <laughs> and sometimes Rook will, you know, get upset when he sees me go, Don, you can't, you can't. But I he don't does. talk to Dallas like that. You don't know what he'll do. <laughs> <laughs> he's capable of. So... <laughs> but anyway, uh, hopefully we'll have it back another time. And um, it's it's nice just yeah. hanging out and talking, dude. You now, know. gentlemen, all these years, we're still going. Mm. Uh, God, we've been doing yeah. this forever. Well, 11 years. Yeah. That's, Heck yeah. yeah. It's been an awesome ride. Let's keep going. Yeah, I agree. So. I agree. All right. Uh, if you like to draw, we're always desperately, desperately in need of comic book covers to use on the Facebook page and the Facebook group. Uh, basically, you can do anything you want as long as it's with taste. I've never had to say that, but I'm sure if I said anything you want, sometimes you might pull a Rocky <laughs> Horror. But um, nobody, every time I get these, they're wonderful. People always say, I don't know if you're going to like it. We've liked everyone. People really enjoy these. We can't pay you for it because we have no money. But if you allow us to, we'll add it to the cover gallery of the blog. Someone please draw Dawn. As Dr. Frankenfurt. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's don't. Let's don't. But, um... We will pay you. <laughs> you know, honestly, I was going to dress in Rocky Horror. Some people were going to do it. But I couldn't find any of those kind of clothes that would fit me, you know? Oh, I got you. Well, it's a different I, I, world I, I, now. I, I will help you find what you need. <laughs> it's, it's a different world now. But in, in 1978, there was no chance you could find anything like that. But, um... That in circles I went to, but uh, so where was I at? Also, <laughs> if you're any kind of musician, singer, uh, performance artist, any anything, if you can record it, we'd be happy to play it on the music spotlight, which we have when we don't have a guest. Uh, people really enjoy these. Um, although I thought Dallas is insane when he added this, but nevertheless, people enjoy these, and we'll have a a link to it, and we also have a music page. We'll add you to. Um, Whoever listens to the show can hear your music. You'll get out there in the world. 
Uh, and we have a t-shirt it's on the sidebar of the blog um, it's not to make us rich it's just to help us cover hosting fees listen to the show wear the shirt everybody check us out bunchofdorks.com click on that cyclops you'll find everything that Don just talked about and mentioned along with prior episodes of the show but until next time read more comics, comics.